So I'm watching this uh, episode of um, Star Trek Voyager. It's called um, it's episode um, season one, episode four, time and again. And um, the uh, starship is it, it. The episode first starts out where the starship first it makes this um, goes in by this. <laughs> having a hard time talking this morning. Goes by this M-class planet, and they're hit by a shock wave. And uh, that shockwave, it uh, creates what they call, what they refer to as differentially charged ion particles. So they end up uh, tracing it back to this M-class planet. An M-class planet is a Earth-based um, type of planet. So it has Earth type of atmosphere, um, the specific nitrogen ox oxygen mix. And um, as they end up looking at this, they end up saying, okay, well, they're going to go investigate this. and at that point, um, they they make it to the planet, and the planet has completely been decimated by something they refer to as polaron particles or something like that. So as they go and investigate, um, Tom Paris and Captain Janeway are, um, as they're as they're investigating, they are whisked back in time relative to the, the surface of the planet by one day, and they actually see what has happened and uh, as the whole discussion of polaron something called polaron radiation um, has them uh, there's basically an uproar about uh, whether or not the society should move forward with it and everything well the the episode ends with Captain Janeway and Tom Paris coming to realize that the rescue efforts being made by the Voyager are what's responsible for actually creating this fissure um, back in the past and are ultimately what's responsible for creating the polaron radiation they detected to begin with and uh, that actually caused the shockwaves of the ship and everything. So they make this determination that, that, that that's what happened. Well, and uh, at that point they end up preventing this and uh, it, it actually stops the entire chain of event from happening. And at that point they literally um, are taken forward in time to the point that they're actually meeting and seeing this M-class planet for the first time. This time without the ruptures in space and time and without the um, any of the problems that existed before. You know, so they don't see, there's no shock waves, there's no burst of radiation or anything like that, and there's no, um, while they do detect an M-class planet with a pre-warp pre civilization, um, they decide to actually go by it without actually uh, going to visit it. So, and at this point, no, no decimation of the, of the population or anything like that. So another perspective is, their observation in this future um, actually caused the event to happen, the polaron radiation, or, you know, and the funny thing is the term used, differential. So the differential, you know, um, the differential uh, information of their observation. So basically, should they participate or should they not? Um, there's basically a, coll a, a collusion of minds here that basically says, you know, to the, the people on the surface of the planet, do we want them coming here or do, they, do we not? And what ends up happening is they ends up they end up um, 
they are in the future responsible you know this future of where they're actually looking the act of looking creates the literal event that actually made them go through this the first time where eventually they end up breaking out of this loop and they end up coming forward to this point in time where they end up um, all they end up doing is just basically seeing this thing this uh, this M-class planet and uh, they they document it within their archives you know and at that point they just simply move forward you know now they from their perspective never know about these events that happened um, the planet itself and the people on the planet never consciously know about the whole um, inclusion of aliens that actually came and interacted with their planet and everything but subconsciously as a species you know from a collective mindset and everything they know and they're basically it creates a um, I consider you know kind of like a subconscious connection to the interconnectedness of everything you know just basically saying yes they do exist you know but you know maybe it might be um, put in a part of their culture and everything where they see this as a part of their collective culture and everything they might actually have this very real event that happened documented as fiction within their culture and everything you know, so nobody is consciously aware of it, or some might become consciously aware of it, you know, and uh, at that point, um, you know, the and same thing holds true for the Voyager, too. Some people, and Kess is one, for instance, she's slowly but surely acquiring the capabilities to be able to sense the ruptures in time, to sense the differences and, and know that, you know, she knows that there was an explosion that happened on this, and she's immediately comes to the bridge at the end of the episode to warn, you know, of this um, explosion, but she doesn't know quite what she's seeing, and as a result, she ends up uh, coming to it and, you know, warning the captain. The captain's just like, well, it's an M-class planet, and, you know, we have a general tendency to basically not want to, uh, or it's an M-class planet that is a pre-warp civilization, and at that point they decide to, you know, she goes, it's a, as a general policy, we don't interact with these kind of civilizations, and, you know, that's basically the end of the episode. So, I just thought it was interesting enough to, you know, for me to document it from the various different perspectives and everything, so... From my perspective, I get to see all the different events and everything happening. So, I'll continue this like I did yesterday. And sorry about the uh, the quick cutoff on uh, yesterday's uh, podcast. It was just, um, yeah, my, sometimes I might do that. Okay, I'm checking back in. <coughs> it's been a while since I uh, posted it this morning. I was trying to, uh, or since I talked this morning. I like this style. Just basically doing it when I feel like I'm uh, feel like uh, logging my thoughts and everything. Interesting. So, anyways, um, I started thinking about the whole uh, concept um, of how is it you would actually describe, you know, if you were to actually document in a linear format the differences between the an observer's perspective of the Voyager's um, journey this morning and what I discussed in that episode. And uh, incidentally, I'm going to be making a uh, video that I'm going to be posting on YouTube about this, and uh, it's going to be an attempt to start a series of basically um, temporal mechanics videos discussing time and, uh, in particular, the different various ways of uh, perceiving time um, based on perspective and uh, based on um, the events that happen and everything, at least uh, as, as I've witnessed it and everything.
So, um, okay, it's getting back to the whole episode. Um, now, there's there there might be one assumption that uh, Captain Janeway and the rest of the crew didn't um, didn't ever don't have memories of the experiences of the events that actually happened of that M-class planet. You know, so if you're looking at this from a chronological linear perspective, from the perspective of the crew, um, with the exception of uh, Kess, who has an indication, a uh, hint that uh, there was something that, uh, that had been experienced in this, um, you know, with the blowing up she discussed, uh, having memories or something like that, and she actually came down to the bridge. So Kess is a temporally aware, and later she goes on to become a Q herself, um, or trained in the manners of Q. Um, but uh, in any case, um, she's she's aware of the events that happen, um, but uh, she's, she's unable to really pinpoint what precise events those are and everything. She just knows that there's an explosion that occurs, and they investigate the M-class planet um, with sensors. And uh, they, the first time around, they see that this event that's happened um, has actually literally decimated the planet, and they go to, they go to inspect it. And at this point, they, fi they find out that they are responsible for creating this whole, you know, crisis that, in a literal sense, blows up that planet and everything. So their first contact actually creates this, this problem they come to the conclusion of. Well, all of this, all of this is erased, literally, from their conscious minds. So when they progress and they actually move forward from that point in time... All they're left with, from a memory perspective, is basically, hey, they ended up going to this uh, insignificant planet. They, um, It's an M-class planet. Now, they're none the wiser that Janeway has died in this alternative reality. Um, they're none the wiser that uh, they find her comm badge in the rubble and everything, and that's how they managed to triangulate her position in space and time, back in time. And uh, as they're going through, it's just, uh, that's one of the things that, uh, you know, that... Um, they are completely unaware from a chronological perspective. So this actually got me to thinking. Um, I end, I've been watching a series on intelligence that's uh, provided by the CIA that uh, it, it gets into um, the documentation of intelligence from... Um, more or less, he goes into an example discussing the um, discussing the whole chronology, um, the chronology versus timeline, and I don't think he's um, he's as as definitive in explaining the differences between a chronology and a timeline. And uh, as I ended up looking through the resources and everything that I have, I started seeing that there isn't any real strong, definitive um, method of, uh, of documenting what exactly a chronology is versus what's a timeline. You know, so a chronology, for instance, is, you know, is at least somewhat defined similarly. You know, a timeline documents things in a, a certain way, and chronology has a, you know, it just basically, so I'm going to put it like this. A chronology is a series of events that happen in a specific order. And, you know, here's a for instance. My resume um, has a series of events of the things that actually led to the development of me becoming who I am. You know, so starting off with, um, you know, 
in non-programming ways. Uh, it was basically a busboy, a cook, um, movie theater person, um, delivery driver. Um, ultimately, I be- started becoming a receiver, then a quality assurance inspector um, for both electrical and mechanical systems and everything, until finally I ended up hacking my way into a system that uh, at that point proved my worth, and at that point I uh, shifted over to a junior uh, software programming engineering position. So for me, this whole series of chronological events happened from the period of uh, basically 15 and a half years old. I mean, before then, I've even documented the chronology where prior in my life, I was a newspaper uh, delivery boy, you know. Um, So if you look at my resume, chronologically speaking, um, the chronology uh, says one event, at least from my perspective, the the newspaper, um, the... uh, uh, basically, the, me shifting over there to be a busboy from there, me to being a cook over at McDonald's, and so on and so forth. Each one of these successive events happens in a precise um, order from uh, from a chronological perspective. And that chronology perspective, um, I'll go so far to say, is a subjective perspective. So that's that for me is what the definitive um, statement is about a chronology. So from this Star Trek Voyager's perspective, the chronology of these events basically has it. So where if you're going to look at this from a linear perspective, the the external events that occurred, um, such as Janeway dying, such as all these other things, are not a part of the chronolo- chronological events. However, me as an external observer, I see these as chronological events. So first, you know, um, and this is where it becomes extremely important, you know, to understand the difference of perspective for chronology. You know, so really it's just like um, my chronology of the events, you know, is not going to be one and the same as Captain Janeway's. So chronologically speaking, I've got a 45-50 a minute episode of which I watched um, Star Trek Voyager, um, encountered a big, huge, massive burst of radiation, um, Tetrion radiation, if I'm not mistaken, um, and at that point they go and investigate the source, they determine it's this one uh, planet, and uh, they go and investigate the planet, they beam down to the planet, and they see that the whole thing's been destroyed, and that destruction happened and literally, you know, hours, maybe a day beforehand. So they, at that point, are trying to really figure out, hey, what happened here? And all of a sudden, boom, uh, Janeway and Paris are actually shifted back in time, and, and at that point, they become a part of the events. Well, chronologically speaking, if I'm to document this from my perspective, which I, which I am here, I see all these events happening in this specific order, you know, so they, they go and they experience this point in uh, space and time and everything, and from a chronology perspective, I'm seeing these events unfold, you know, over a certain period of time and everything, and this is actually what creates the episodes, you know, for me that I actually receive as Star Trek, and it's, it's referred to on my planet as it's fiction. Well, I know it's a factual account of the journeys of this starship and everything now, you know, but uh, I hadn't known at the, t- at, at the time, and I just basically considered it nothing more than entertainment. So, anyways, as I'm witnessing this chronology, you know, this succession of events, um, the succession of events ultimately leads to the point where um, part of the crew um, ends up trying to actually interact with them in the past. They, they determine that they're actually stuck in the past and that the past is moving at a consistent rate and speed in time 
to them and that they are or they don't necessarily consciously realize this but they they at this point are um, at this point they're moving forward at a certain rate and time and everything which basically means Janeway and Paris are are about to be destroyed in this event and everything you know if you know they don't do something about it so they end up um, realizing at this point that they've actually got to um, try to bring the captain back at this point, and all of a sudden they end up going through and uh, they create this rift that is trying to actually make it so where Paris and Janeway can jump through it, but it's the creation of that rift that's actually in the location that's created and is actually responsible for creating the destruction, the, the planet-wide destruction to begin with. So Janeway manages to, in the past, negate that rift from ever occurring, and at that point uh, makes it so where, you know, they end up, um, literally the future, you know, it changes the, the future, her future, now at this point. And at this point, uh, basically, it, I can't remember the rest of the episode and everything from that perspective and everything and what exactly happens. I'm gonna have to rewatch it, but um, I'm, I, you know, especially going to do this uh, little uh, documentation on it. But the the gist of it is, they end up saving the planet, um, and the events that happen, they end up folding back in time to the point of actually first. Um, when that rift ended up uh, causing that that whole Tetrion burst that caused the whole shaking of the Voyager and everything, never happens. So at this point, they end up getting a, a couple of different things where they they know that the planet's there. So this is all chronologically speaking for me. I'm experiencing these in a, in a succession. So A leads to B leads to C leads to D leads to E leads to F and so on. So as I'm watching this and everything, all these events um, mean that they, I have seen them, live that same exact point in time in two different ways. So that same exact point in time has been altered you know, by an event that happened in in an alternate future of which they are no longer a part of. And as a result, that has caused a rift to come back in space and time to alter the trajectory of that event and everything to make it so where something that did happen before never happens. And as a result, um, they end up uh, just basically looking at that planet from a perspective of saying, hey, you know, it's a pre-industrial, pre-warp civilization. You know, the, um, the requirements by our... Um, our own personal rules are we can't actually make contact with them, you know, um, until they reach uh, warp warp uh, capabilities, you know. So it's just it's a simple rule, you know, and they're they're pretty strict about following it. And everything. Well, Janeway, um, you know, she had actually let them know that they were a pre-warp civilization, or that they that they were actually from space and everything, which caused um, a successive uh, set of events to occur, and she realizes logically that they're the ones responsible for creating that rift, you know, um, and at that point they have already interfered with the civilization and everything, you know, and at this point that's actually among the reasons that they end up cascading out and coming back and and uh, never experiencing the, the rift to begin with. You know, so from, from my chronological perspective, at least from watching the Starship Voyager as a TV show, aka called Fiction, um, 
I see these events and everything, and and basically, you know, it's it's more or less, hey, we're going to make a left turn. Boom! I see all the different possibilities that occur with that left turn, and all of a sudden, boom! It goes back to the moment that they end up making that decision. It's like, no, we're going to make a right instead. I mean, that's essentially what the episode is. You know, now I see all the different possibilities that arise as a result of their interference with the civilization and everything that's pre-warp. You know, I see that. And uh, that interference is actually, you know, just simply even being there on that planet is actually causing the events to happen. You know, so they can't help but interfere by their sheer presence. You know, their minds, something happens with them that they're fully unaware of, you know, that's actually causing the shift in this planet. You know, so all of a sudden, the next thing that happens is they never even get close to that planet to begin with. And as a result, the interference doesn't happen. You know, so from my perspective, you know, chronologically speaking, um, I see, you know, the different threads and different possibilities until ultimately they end up making the right turn instead of the left turn. And, you know, I'm being proverbial on this, you know, it's a metaphor. And uh, just basically they end up making a right turn instead of making a left. And at that point, everybody goes on their hunky-dory way. You know, the civilization continues with its existence, you know, unabated. And, uh, you know, Starship Voyager continues on its journey and everything. You know, nobody, nobody consciously knows any anything different at this point. So that's from my perspective. Now, here's here's another perspective. Another perspective is um, from the Voyager's perspective. The Voyager and the crew from the Voyager and everything, and like I said, with the exception of Cass, only knows of one single timeline. And that timeline is the point where they ended up making the right turn instead of the left. They never had the Tetrian burst. You know, in this alternate timeline, they never had these whole series of events of actually going and uh, and dealing with that uh, with that civilization and everything. Never. And um, when Kess comes to the bridge and everything, you know, there's really you know there's no um, no evidence to suggest that anything that she's seeing or or experiencing or, or anything like that is um, depictive of reality or anything like that. None whatsoever. You know, so to some degree, it's just. Um, Kess is invalidated, you know, for her perspective or anything like that, you know, and in the end, you know, while the Voyager ends up moving on its merry way and everything, um, they never have any discovery as to why Kess ended up having this whole side timeline, you know, of the explosion and everything. Well, I mean, this goes into the, you know, the alternate reality and the infinite different potential realities that could exist, you know, and the story of the Voyager is about the one single story that may have collected, be, had been landed on that basically said, oh, hey, you know, that's, you know, that story is there because they ended up looping back in time. There was an event that happened on an alternate timeline, and at that point they ended up looping back on time, and, and Kess, you know, was the figurehead, was the, the point, the bubble, if you will, that actually let the crew and let the captain know that something happened, you know, so all, all the captain had to do is just listen without dismissing to understand that something did indeed actually happen, you know, and at, at that point it's just like, hey... You know, they end up going on their merry way. Um, now, nobody's any of the wires there that, the, that uh, you know, the captain died, you know, in this alternate timeline. 
you know, it doesn't matter for all intents and purposes. Captain continues on living. You know, the, that whole separate timeline and everything doesn't exist anymore. They're no longer given any evidence, you know, by this negotiation of minds, you know, of the collective mind of the starship, of um, Janeway's mind, of all these different minds and everything, um, and also the collective mind of this pre-warp civilization, um, they enter into, um, and this is my belief, that, uh, that collective minds and individual minds enter, enter into kind of a contract. It's kind of like a, uh, a negotiation. Do we meet, and if so, um, how? You know, in what ways do we meet and actually, you know, kind of like come together and everything. So, and that, that ends up, um, you know, basically it comes down to... There's that uh, the whole contract negotiation from a subconscious or a mind perspective. Saying it's subconscious may not may be a little bit of a misnomer, but saying it's a it's a negotiation of mind and and uh, and kind of like a which story do we land on? You know, to cause our first contact, you know, with each other to actually proceed and everything. And is it possible that we can actually land on a story that we agree with? Um, you know, mutually that's mutually beneficial to the both of us in order to actually move forward. And uh, in this case here, this is a prime example of um, it not being possible to find a story that can actually result in a mutually beneficial circumstance and everything. The planet literally is decimated. The entire population's decimated, you know, by the inclusion of just simple, you know, two simple individuals and everything. You know, now, there could be a further investigation if you're actually investigating temporal anomalies and that kind of stuff about why, you know, um, specifically Janeway's mind and Parrish's mind, you know, because they seem to be two pitiful, pivotal figures in this, why those two minds in particular, you know, mixing into this equation um, may have contributed to this. You know, that could be one question that could be asked from a temporal analysis perspective. You know, another one could be, um, is it a cultural conflict? You know, is there something inherently different with the way that um, that this other civilization views science, you know, and in contrast to the way that uh, the Federation does? You know, and does this inherent conflict, you know, um, create, why does this inherent conflict create such a, such a disjoint? You know, so is, there an, is, there an, is it at an individual level, you know? Um, is it at, uh, you know, is it Paris? Is it Janeway? Is it both? You know, is it somebody else? You know, um, or is it a is it a societal conflict? I mean, there's so many different reasons that the result could have decimated that planet and everything. You know, so what we see in the end, at least what I see, isn't necessarily the reasons. What I'm seeing is the story told that makes it intriguing enough to actually want to investigate later. You know, and what I mean by that is, um, I'm given a story, you know, that basically says, you know, that civilization is uh, is destroyed as a result, you know, of an interference that ends up happening because of um, their meddling, you know, in a pre-warp civilization. Well, there's more to it than that.
You know, there's absolutely more to it than that. You know, the uh, Federation, along with, um, you know, I mean, in countless times, at least that I've seen, um, has countless times meddled in the relationships of uh, of pre-warp civilizations numerous times. I mean, they've even done it here with Earth. You know, I mean, they come here in the 1920s, they come here in the 1930s. Um, you know, I mean, it, it has happened so many times, at least in, in what I've seen as documented Federation history, um, that that in itself for me is not answer. It's more like, a, that's more like a patch. It's an excuse. You know, it's an excuse to say, don't look at this until we're ready to mentally understand, you know, difference in perceptions, you know, and perceptions of, of chronological histories. And this is actually where it comes down to the difference in between chronology versus the timeline. And chronology is a is a single timeline from one certain perspective. You know, so a, a you know, and, and at this point they can actually be used mutually. So um, it's more or less basically saying it's like my resume, like I, I had said before. That chronology, you know, of events that actually led to eventually me becoming a programmer and me ultimately becoming Q, um, or at least accepting that I'm Q, um, has has a succession of events that, from my perspective, happen in a certain order, and then. At the, at the point, that pivotal event that happened out in the desert that day and everything, where all of a sudden I saw there was another perspective for the first time on my own life. And that perspective was equally as accurate because I didn't realize some of the events that actually contributed to my life and some of the decisions that I had made and everything. And that's that I was actually, at the same time, I was a consultant, I was working, um, doing all this other stuff. I was also living a completely separate life as as a uh, intelligence analyst for the NSA. Now, the two, um, I was, it was almost like I was living two separate lives, you know, um, almost like uh, schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder. I'm making decisions on one life. Well, it, it, it's like Janeway in this case right here. She has made, you know, the choices and everything that ultimately winds her back in, in the past by a full day before they even, they even come close to this planet and everything. And... Um, she ends up actually creating the Tetraumbers. She's directly responsible for creating that Tetraumbers, which literally devastates the planet and everything. Well, clearly, nobody wants that on their conscience, right? So as a result, her mind resists this, fully resists it. So I don't want to be responsible for creating this Tetrion burst. So as a result, she gets into this, you know, basically a fight with all of reality, saying, I don't want to be responsible for this. And at that point, her mind pushes back and ultimately pushes back on her decisions as a captain and ultimately causing them to see an M-class planet that uh, that's a pre-warp civilization that doesn't want their uh, you know that doesn't want their participation or everything. Ultimately, her mind could have actually made it so where that Tetrion burst never happened. That's poss That's one possibility. The other possibility is that event in space and time and everything. Um, I mean, it's it's basically it's it's a collusion between minds that that actually create events. And something, whether or not it's Janeway's pushing back and refusing to be a captain that it ends up dying on the first mission or something like that. You know, any number of different things could have happened and everything. But ultimately, you know, she never consciously, um, well, she did consciously because that's a misnomer too. But in, at least in her chronological history that she can remember, she does not experience the death 
and the accidental killing of an entire planet that never experiences it. Now, it's not that much different for me. At the point, you know, where I ended up, you know, joining the NSA, NSA and everything, um, ultimately, I came across, you know, a set of decisions and everything that led to extreme paranoia, you know, and to what eventually could have led to decimation of my planet based on decisions similar to what Janeway made. Now, the difference is, I chose to remember him, but I chose to also not let it happen at the same time. So what I experienced out in the desert that day, you know, was very real. You know, I saw um, a Terminator world created directly by yours truly. You know, um, I mean, it was an accident. You know, I hadn't intended to. You know, but the fact of the matter is, is, it's what happened. Now, afterwards, my mind repaired this event. You know, and it taught me about the duality and timelines that I was starting to experience. You know, it's like the butterfly effect, you know, for Ashton Kutchner, where he ends up making changes in time and everything, and every time, he keeps fucking up, but he doesn't know why, he doesn't know what's going on. And every time, he's getting nosebleeds and that kind of stuff. Well, here I am getting nosebleeds off and on, you know, for throughout, uh, you know, throughout the last couple years and everything of my life, you know, the and for me, I'm telling myself it's drugs, you know, it's cocaine the whole time, you know, but... But the fact of the matter is, I've got something going on intellectually, mentally, that's basically saying, ultimately, that whole Terminator world, I don't want to be the cause of the decimation of my entire planet and everything. You know, my mind is resisting this, absolutely refusing that possibility as I come to struggle and actually attain my individuality. You know, so, and it's not that much different than Janeway's experience, too. So, chronologically speaking, I'm going through, you know, the experiences of, you know, jobs and lovers and, you know, travel and all this other stuff and everything, and, and I'm going through the set of events and everything, and I'm I'm believing things are happening in a certain order and everything. However, if you were to take that camera and look at me from the outside, what you would see is you would see a man that uh, was quite literally living two separate lives. Each completely independent of each other, you know, and not that much, probably not that much different than the man depicted in Split, you know, with multiple personalities. One personality not aware of the other personality. You know, this is what was happening. You know, so they would conflict on occasion. Um, one was struggling for dominance. The other, both of them were struggling for dominance, you know, until, until I mean, and each one was trained, you know, in specific ways. Um, but each one had its own experiences, its own um, moral attitude, moral um, ethical compass, um, you know, ideas and concepts of what was right and what was wrong. You know, until ultimately this created a conflict, you know, and from the outside, it would be pretty easy, you know, it'd be very, very, um, very much like the movie Split Watching. You know, um, somebody suffering from multiple personality disorders and everything, but from the inside, it's not quite as simple. You know, it's like Janeway experiencing this event and everything. Let's say at a later time, you know, she starts analyzing the events and she says, holy shit, you know, um, was Kess telling the truth about something? You know, had those events potentially happened? You know, and maybe she finds evidence at a later time that her decision, you know, caused a separate, a separate version of her to, in a literal sense, be created. 
maybe her her decision, you know, to create this timeline and everything is what's responsible for creating other things too. You know, and this is actually the interesting thing, you know, about time. I feel like to some degree we're all observing each other in mirrors. You know, like I'm watching somebody on a TV show, you know, and I believe it's fictional. Um, similarly, somebody could be watching me in my life and saying, hey, that's that's a fictional dude. You know, it's, uh, that guy can't be real. That thing that, that he's doing is absolutely impossible. You know, but for me, this is my life. You know, um, the way I perceive my life may not be one and the same that you that you perceive it. You know, so just because I see these chronological events happening in a particular order and everything for Janeway and her crew, um, doesn't mean that she's going to experience it in the same way. Now we can make some make some assumptions based on the way I perceive the world. You know, and those assumptions would be Janeway um, never is even aware of this alternate timeline where she was actually on the planet and she died. Never, never is consciously aware. You know, and that that's by basically taking the lens of my own life and basically saying, okay, I know that these things are quite possibly happening in my own life as well. I never experienced death, you know, never even had, I mean, I've had brushes with it. How many times have I, have I sat there and thought to myself, holy shit, that was close, or in a lot of cases, that was lucky. But it really wasn't luck. To some degree, I had plowed ahead, I had died, and that thought that comes back to me at that point isn't, holy shit, that was close at first. It was, you died. You know, it was just a matter of fact. And I know we're back at this instance and everything. So that gets translated to my reality, you know, because it creates a dichotomy in the experience, a little bit of contradiction, you know, and just basically says, yeah, no, I didn't. I'm still alive. That's temporally inaccurate. I'm still here. I'm still trudging ahead and everything. So I go on my merry way, and I and I say to myself the story. Oh, that was close, man. How many times I've come so close in my life to die, and it just didn't happen. Well, little did I know. I'd probably died thousands, if not millions, of times. We all have, you know. And seen from the right perspective, we can probably watch this occur. You know, it's my belief that half the fictional movies out there, if not more than that, you know, are based on the very real concepts that we're watching other people experience, you know, um, with a a slight spin to it to make it so where we can understand it from our perspective. You know, there's an interpretation that occurs from that alternate reality, you know, that's not our own, to our own, to basically make it so where we can understand the information a little bit better. So... In any case, um, the whole chronology, the chronology is a subjective experience. It's basically the su subjective um, the subjective experience of an event in a particular set of order based on the subjective experiencer. Um, and that could be an individual, it could be a group, and uh, you can make the assumption that um, your perception of somebody else um, and their chronology is going to be exactly as you imagined, exactly as you observed it, and even if you superimpose your perspective onto their life, you know, you might believe that, uh, that, that your perspective of their chronology, um, taking into account that uh, what they would see and what they wouldn't see based on your experiences, your understanding, um, is going to be 100% accurate. And that's actually a completely logical fallacy. You're not ever going to be able to completely 100% understand somebody else's timeline. And it's just, in me, to me, that is an impossibility. So, the reason for that is, um, 
it just comes down to there's infinite different possibilities. You know, so to narrow it down to one single binary uh, thing, um, for me, it's... It's, it's just, I don't, I, I can't imagine it being possible. Just because I can imagine infinite possibilities. So, it, it, that's, and that's not a contradiction. So, with that said, um, so we've got the chronology, you know, of uh, Janeway and her crew and everything on the Starship Voyager, you know, where they never experienced this event. We've got the chronology from my perspective, a completely different perspective, which basically says, I saw her die, you know, and uh, both chronologies are completely accurate of, of her and, and uh, the things that have happened. Now, for me, I have a separate and unique chronology, and that chronology basically says, ah, I live my life and I experienced this journey you know, uh, depicted in this episode, uh, season season one, episode four of Star Trek, um, time and time, time and time, or is it time and again? I experienced the journey when it first came out the first time, and I experienced it again from a different philosophical and experiential perspective and everything. And while I experienced the same journey two separate ways. My mindset was in a different place to be able to understand it from an educational perspective rather than an entertainment perspective the first time and everything. Now, I watched the same set of events and everything, but I got two different things out of it, you know, based on based on the time period that I watched and everything. Now, this really begs the question, you know, did I watch the same set of events? That's, again, something that you could never know. You know, um, there's a TV show called Sliders that I watched uh, when it first came out. And as I watched Sliders again years later, I started seeing episodes that I swear I've never seen, particularly in seasons two and season th or seasons uh, four and season five. I swear I had never seen some of these episodes. Now the same shift in characters and everything. I had the hots for the new girl that they ended up uh, replacing. Uh, what's her name with? Um, you know, gorgeous girl and everything. But uh, besides that, it's just like the uh, episodes, in my opinion, went downhill and they got considerably darker last season or everything or last two seasons. Well, I rewatched it again. Uh, it was about uh, four, you know, about four years ago, maybe five years ago, and it was just like, holy shit! You know, the first three seasons seemed like they're the same and everything, but season four and season five really went. You know, there was something remarkably different with it. There was a lot more robotics um, that were discussed in it, and uh, they just seemed to, you know, also have this recurring, um, oh, there was like a trogs or something like that, this recurring species and everything that kept coming at them. And uh, for me, I just didn't remember that. You know, I didn't remember the frequency of these other of this other group. Not only that, but the whole idea of uh, virtualization and robots and cyborgs and that kind of stuff. And robotics, um, I just didn't... I honestly don't remember there being those episodes and everything. So, in any case, you know, it's uh, the type of thing that uh, when I rewatched it, it's just like, wow, that's something different. Well, in this episode, um, you know, because of the whole possibility that my time period has looped and actually has, um, I'm experiencing certain events and everything differently. Um, you know, but maybe with a little bit different awareness and everything. Because there stands a remarkable possibility that I've lived this timeline before, um, it's my belief that even though I may believe that this is the same episode that I watched before, it may not necessarily be because of the whole Janeway situation. 
You know, she's effectively living the same period in time, two separate times during this journey and everything. You know, 24 hours before all this event happens and everything. So, well, was it one, two, no, three times actually. Because she goes up forward in time and everything to the point that uh, the, the burst happens. She ends up getting sent back 24 hours. She moves forward in time again. Boom, she gets sent, gets sent back. And at this point, she's able to move on her merry way. So it's three separate times that she's actually experienced this same exact time period. Well, I mean, you know, here's the thing. From an internal perspective, how do you know when you're repeating? It's like Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. He consciously knew it. You know, and he took advantage of the time, and he ended up, um, after trying to kill himself a dozen times, you know, who knows how, how much longer... He ended up basically saying, screw it. He's going to teach himself how to play piano. He's going to basically do a whole bunch of different things and everything that he never did before. You know, even though he's repeating the same 24 hours over and over again. At that point, he ends up saying, you know what, screw this. I'm just going to, I mean, I don't have any other options other than just simply make the best of it. You know, so in this case right here, you know, we've got three, at least from my perspective, documented journeys where, you know, Janeway has relived the same time period, at least, you know, this 24-hour period of time, you know, um, three times. Now, is that the limitation of the possible timelines and times that she's relived this? No, definitely not. You know, in, in a literal sense, um, there's been an estimation on uh, the Bill Murray living Groundhog Day that uh, there's been an estimation that he, he relived that same period of time 35 years. Now, could she have lived that same period of time, you know, and uh, gone through literally 35 different years, you know, literally 365 days a year, um, you know, times 35, you know, literally 9,000, you know, 10,000 different times, you know, going through this event until finally it may have landed on somebody like me who saw it and helped her break that time loop and everything, potentially. You know, maybe she's trying to find different observers that can actually help her understand this time loop, at least at a subconscious level, before before she forward, forges ahead. You know, it's all, it's all definitely possible, but uh, you don't know. So... So this brings me to the uh, to the second concept. So you have chronology, which is a subjective, um, a subjective, subjectively based uh, set of events that happen in a particular order. Now, timeline itself is the um, is what I consider the more objective, um, uh, objective way of actually taking a chronology. So in the case of uh, case of uh, Janeway, we have two separate chronologies. Um, and if you look at it from, you know, from a, a timeline perspective, you can actually document this as having one single timeline. Now, what's that one timeline? And that timeline is, in my opinion, kind of like the... Um, now, it's, it's more of an objective uh, perspective. It's an attempt to actually take all the events that have happened from every perspective and basically put them into the same mix. You know, so from a chronological perspective, you know, um, you have subjective, uh, subjective observations. You know, so Janeway's uh, observation that there's an M-class planet out there and everything, and uh, nothing's happened. Well, then you have my chronology, where I see her die in one, in one, um, in one primary reality, 
And uh, at that point, um, that resets her timeline, you know, her chronology, so where she's actually getting to a certain point. Now, here's the thing. For me, I'm seeing multiple different timelines, and uh, the chronology is the subjective perspective of the timelines. Does that make sense? So a timeline itself is is very similar, you know, to uh, you know to the chronology. Where a chronology will have a timeline, but the timeline. Um, let's think of a better way to put this. But the timeline isn't necessarily the chronology. The timeline itself consists of multiple events that have happened and uh, basically trying to organize these things from an objective standpoint. So my chronology, you know, for instance, you know, is watching these series of events and everything. You know, um, I, I shouldn't say that. My chronology is watching a TV show and seeing these events that occur. The timelines that I see are one, two different timelines that exist within um, the chronology of her perspective. So I'll go so far to say the the um, timeline is a, is an objective um, attempt to basically create a linear order for events that happen. The chronology is the subjective ownership of those series of events. And you could take from multiple timelines in order to create that subjective experience. Usually most people actually take it from one single timeline. But me, you know, if you look at me having lived one life as a NSA guy and another life as a, just a consultant and everything, you know, overpaid consultant in most cases, um, you know, I had to merge those two timelines together to create my chronology. Two separate timelines, very unique, very distinct and everything, and you can't call them each an individual chronology because, you know, in, from each perspective, each one was a sub subjective chronology based on a certain personality and everything, but eventually those personalities merged and thus they became timelines that actually created my chronology, my past memory of the events that have happened within my life and everything. So that's how I would differentiate the two. A timeline is an objective reference uh, measure that basically says, here's the succession of events and everything from an objective standpoint. The chronology is a subjective reference. Objective versus subjective. So, in any case, I just want to... Uh, want to make that actually uh, kind of clear, you know, just um, the reason for that is, you know, I'm going to do a video, you know, based on this, and I'm, I'm hoping to refine the thoughts a little bit even further, you know, as I discuss this and everything, and just basically say, look, you know, um, we have several different timelines that are mentioned in the Star Trek episode, you know, so you have one timeline where Janeway dies, you have another timeline where she lives, and there's no memories of, uh, of the event and everything, um, you have uh, another timeline, you know, where um, Kess could potentially see two different possibilities at this point. So, you know, from her subjective standpoint, you know, which which um, timeline does she accept and which, which uh, chronology does she move forward with and everything, you know, for her events and everything. Um, 
but uh, from a crew's perspective and from Janeway's perspective, they have a chronology, and that chronology basically omits the fact that she destroyed that planet um, by visiting there and blah, blah, blah. At that point, uh, they end up um, moving on their merry way, and nothing happens. You know, they just uh, find an M-class planet that they ignore, and they move on. Chronology is intact. Two timelines integrated into one that create the result. So... Now, from my perspective, I see these timelines, and I also have my own personal timeline. Now, that timeline basically says I've watched this uh, show a couple times and everything. I saw two different threads. You know, the first time I saw one thread. Now I see two threads because i got a new mindset. I understand reality a little bit differently. Um, new, new evidence causes the revision of, of past, uh, past things that I've actually, that I analyze now. And as a direct result, that same episode that I watched the first time with one single chronology, or one, yeah, one single timeline, I now see two separate and completely distinct timelines. Now, those two timelines still exist. There always will exist that timeline where she destroyed that planet. That moved on ahead, so there's only, always going to be that one, and who knows what happens with the crew of the Voyager at this point. It's anybody's guess. There's any number of different possibilities. You know, they're not, now that they're lacking the captain, they're actually cut out there in the Delta Quadrant and everything. What do they do? That's a completely different story. Nobody ever knows. You know, but that timeline's still, like, it's like a dangling pointer. You know, if you're going to look at it from a programming perspective. You know, um, <laughs> if you're not a programmer, then I'm sorry for the reference. But uh, it's, it's almost like, you know, you've got something that you haven't fully dereferenced, and there really isn't any way to dereference that, that pointer. It's basically saying, hey, we created the separate timeline out there. That timeline still exists, and just because you loop back doesn't mean that one still doesn't, cho doesn't uh, chug on forward. You know, it creates a split. It creates an al a literal alternate reality. You know, so who knows what happens with that alternate reality and everything. Now, I didn't know that the first time I saw the show. I didn't know that alternate reality was getting created. But now I do. You know, now I see the two different possibilities. You know, if anything, indifferent possibilities, because who knows what choices anybody's going to make at that point. You know, so, you know, I mean, and does the civilization find a way to come back to life later? You don't know. I mean, the civilizations, you know, I've found have a tendency to be cyclic, you know, have a tendency to basically recreate themselves. So, people recreate themselves, reinvent themselves. So, anyways, um, you never know. But now, there's two different timelines, at the very least, um, potentially in different timelines. And uh, we now have one reality where Janeway didn't live where she died in an accident when they ended up going to make first contact on a planet, you know, and who knows what happened, you know, after that point. From my perspective, you know, it's just like the different threads of reality. And and that actually happened the second time I watched it, you know, this time. That's kind of the reason I'm rewatching these episodes and everything, too. You know, I'm watching it at the same time I'm watching Sabrina, and I figured I need some scientific balance to understand some of the things I'm actually watching from an educational perspective with Sabrina. I'm talking about the, the comedy, Sabrina the Witch. You know, because what they do in that is just like, holy shit, you know, these people have Q powers, you know, that are depicted in the Sabrina the Witch. 
It's, it's, it's a comedy based on these people that had the capability to be able to shift into and out of reality to be able to alter, you know, forms and alter the forms of others, to be able to create sounds, noises, whatever they want to. Uh, and they're constantly talking about living in a different realm. They, you know, take a trip uh, to Mars, you know, at the snap of a fingers. You know, it's, it's really the depiction of Q as a lifestyle, you know, at a familiar level. It's kind of funny, actually. You know, so taking it from that perspective and everything, it's just like, okay, how scientifically does the rest of the world function and everything, and how simultaneously can you have humans existing, you know, coexisting with these things that are referred to as witches? You know, particularly if a witch is nothing more than a Q. Or less than a Q. So, in any case... It's just kind of a lesson in the possibilities and everything. That's why I'm fascinated by it. Time, though. That's, uh, that's the subject at hand. Chronology. You know, it's the uh, subjective. The timeline is the objective. And there could be multiple timelines that create a single subjective, ti uh, subjective chronology. And here's the other important thing that I had to come to understand, too. That uh, a chronology, um, a subjective chronology... Um, you can also refer to it interchangeably as a subjective timeline, but the, but, uh, the subject of chronology is probably a more accurate way of stating it. Um, the subject of chronology can be um, based on a single individual's or a collective civilization's, a collective group's. Um, each one of these um, can actually... And, and a, if a subjective group has understandings of information and ideas and everything that a subjective civilization that they're living within doesn't, this can actually result in the long-term branching of those two time periods as well. You know, so subjective chronology for the, the group that might control might actually shift and split out entirely from the subjective whole itself as a collective. So, in any case, uh, that's about it. Nothing more going on here. So, I'll end it for tonight. Thanks for listening. I'm going to put uh, the YouTube pit thing together, and when I get that done, it's probably going to take a week, because I really do want to... I want to polish it and make it look good. It's probably going to be the first in a series of uh, time-based um, educational things and everything. Years ago, I had Clark Community College offer for me to teach a... Uh, um, physics class over there, and, you know, my basis would be temporal mechanics, so uh, I'd actually like to make it professional and make it so where I can actually put this thing into a, you know, into a lecture-type format and everything. But I want to make sure that I actually know what the fuck I'm talking about as I present it and everything. Or I shouldn't say know what the fuck I'm talking about, but at least be, um, present this as accurate, accurately as I possibly can, knowing what I know. So really isn't any good books on it or anything like that, but uh, there are certainly movies out there for it and TV shows. So, I shall post that link when I get it. Thanks for listening. I'm going to add on a little bit more. <coughs> like I said, I'm going to make this um, kind of like um, ad hoc. I feel like, uh, I don't know why, I just went down this path of... Um, basically popping on links and everything, but I happened across uh, something that led me to historical records of the uh, maps of uh, Phoenix, and actually what led me down the path was I was going to start on development of uh, Watch Dogs 5, so as uh, an Ubisoft an announcement, 
Um, well, there was a Ubisoft video on YouTube that uh, discussed the patent, and I started looking at patents a little bit differently and basically said, okay, you know, um, a patent from one perspective is something that basically tells, um, you know, that uh, restricts the development of something and uh, and protects, quote-unquote, protects the uh, company from and others from leveraging the intellectual property of that. Well, there's an alternative perspective that I've discovered just recently, which is it is a um, discussion by, you know, to the public and particularly the people that actually want to involve themselves in creative activities and that kind of stuff. And basically it's a way to, um, to tell, to indicate, to um, guide uh, the direction of the company and where they would like to take the company into what kind of media by basically saying to the public, develop in these areas and this is more or less what we're looking to expand our product base into. So it's kind of like a guideline to the American public or to the public at large, which I had always wondered why there's so many different Ubisoft studios around the world. Well, it's just because there's developers that have gotten the idea and have seen, you know, that uh, Ubisoft um, isn't necessarily one conglomerate company. It's micromanaged by one individual, but instead it's a group or even select individuals which are highly skilled at programming, which develop entire games. And at that point, they understand that most people don't understand that a single developer might look like, you know, to them from their perspective, is a hundred or a thousand people or something like that. So they put a hundred different, th you know, names on the project, a thousand different names on the project and everything and uh, make it look like a full-fledged studio developed this and everything. When in fact it was just basically one really kind of <laughs> one long drawn-out work that ended up presenting, being presented and everything, which is, hey, um, anyways, long story short, I went through and I wanted to find recent maps of Phoenix. And what I was going to start with is basically an overlay of Phoenix set of, as a grid-based system and everything. And uh, take some maps and convert it um, to textures. And that way I can actually have a base elevation, you could say, you know, for the, uh, you know, for the world that I'm going to be creating and everything. So I thought, hey, I can actually import it, write a little program that'll import this into points, and uh, import it as a series of polygons, and at this point I can actually, you know, just leverage this as the base elevation, and from there I could start working and changing things, and, you know, making my modifications, start building from that as my base and everything. So um, what I needed was high-resolution maps, and uh, that's what I started looking for, it was basically high-resolution maps that are, uh, to some degree, um, historically based. I mean, you know, part of my story is uh, based in, um, it's a time-traveling adventure, so it's going to be based in somewhere in the 1980s, um, and then it's also going to have another part that's based in 1999, and uh, I figure it's going to have three, maybe four primary time periods that you're going to be traveling back and forth in between. So, I mean, the goal is I'm going to be, you know, creating this game. I'm going to be presenting it and publishing it 
um, under the name of Ubisoft, and, uh, and or I should say distributing it under the name of Ubisoft. And now I'll be distributing it through the quote-unquote pirate channels and everything. You know, and uh, at that point, that's how I'll get my audience, and it'll legitimize, legitimize itself. That's the way I look at it, you know, when I distribute it through the uh, pirate chains and everything. So, in any case, um, I was looking for something to start with. Well, as I started going through historical imagery, uh, I ended up, for some reason, just started thinking about this place called, uh, I came across an image that, uh, in some words about Legend City. Now, Legend City, it's a theme park that existed in the Phoenix area, and I, I, you know, here's the weird thing. I know, you know, and in a sense, um, going back to the Flashes episode tonight where, um, Ramon, he picked up on through deja vu like experiences and everything that he had been through this before um despite you know when excess finally ended up uh, coming to him you know he throughout the whole process he was getting deja vu experiences and as a result he was responding to those deja vu experiences and you know flashes of memory you know that uh, he had experienced this timeline before um, and he needed to change it, you know, consciously change what he was doing from a chronological perspective and everything. Um, he had a date that he was supposed to go on. Well, it's kind of funny because every subsequent time that he'd relived this experience, uh, he'd go and he'd try something different with this date, and he was just making a total fool out of himself most of the time and everything, but he was trying different things. And to some degree, as an individual, I think he thought he was responsible for the repetition in the timeline. You know, so, um, in the end, they end up finding out that it's excess, you know, and she's basically going through and intentionally creating the, the timeline loop and everything. But uh, in the meantime, you know, he's sitting there just, you know, I mean, to some degree, he's got his conscious mind, which is having deja vu experiences, and he's making new choices based on um, these flashes, these premonitions, you could say, these deja vu experiences and memories that he's receiving from a subconscious level and everything. Now, I've had these off and on um, in, in different ways throughout my life, and one of them in particular is, you know, involves Legend City. Now, I don't remember going there with my mom and dad. I'm going to ask my mom and dad, you know, if they if we ever went there as a family. And the place closed down in 1983. We moved to Phoenix in 1980, but... I have memories of going for rides, um, on rides, that never, that to my awareness, didn't exist. Now, for instance, the steamboat over at uh, Disneyland has never been operable. But I distinctly remember going on a steamboat ride as a child. Distinctly remember it. Now, I never visited Legend City, to my awareness, you know, to my conscious awareness, but I remember being on a replica of the thing that was over at, over in Disneyland at Tom Sawyer's Island and everything, and all I remember is it being very, very hot out there on that island. Well, they have a similar Tom Sawyer's Island over at Legend City. It's a similar island. 
Um, but they all, and they also have this, uh, you know, the steamboat, you know, that goes around it too, and you ride the steamboat and everything. And I saw a picture of the steamboat, and I'm just like, holy shit, that's the steamboat that I remember as a child. Well, that's really fucking weird. Um, there was another thing too. Um, I remember the uh, train being, uh, uh, well, I remember there being boats that uh, used to row and everything um, over at, uh, you know, over at Disneyland, but there's never been boats there, and I look here at Legend City, and there they are. It's, like, interesting. You know, so I'm going to ask my mom and dad tomorrow, but I think I know what the answer's going to be, because there's one other thing, too. They've got a point where they've got this, um leaning, you know, mystery spot and everything, that uh, gravity is kind of fucked up and everything, and they actually have this, uh, I remember this spot distinctly being at um, Knott's Berry Farm. Distinctly remember it being there. Well, according to the records that I have of available to me, that's never been there. And oddly enough, here it is at Legend City at least listed in Legend City. And what else? There was one other thing that I saw, too, that uh, definitely had me thinking. Um, going through the pictures here. Um, yeah, so it's just like, to some degree, I'm wondering, you know, I'm suspecting that... Uh, that the process of puberty causes an acceleration in the development of the mind and also in the development of the physical body and, in addition to that, the physical reality. You know, and I'm suspecting that at one point Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm didn't exist. And I'm also suspecting that Legend City, you know, and, well, I don't know. You know, that's actually a hard thing to determine. Which one didn't exist? You know, did Legend City contribute to Disneyland? You know, some of these artifacts, some of these rides and everything, and Legend City being such a, you know, in Phoenix in a desert, it's not exactly the, I mean, and it's outdoors too, it's not exactly the best place for a uh, amusement park. You know, it's still freaking hot in uh, Disneyland during the summertime. Did, you know, the artifacts of Legend City get distributed temporally to these other two different locations? Maybe, like, the best of get distributed temporally to these other locations as this deconstruction took its process and took its toll. So this is actually, you know, indicative of or suggestive of potentially... Reality has a way of preserving the things that people enjoy by displacing them to different locations. Or, in some cases, expanding them, too. Now, for the most part, you blame that on people. You know, people love copying and that kind of shit. You know, but it's it's not quite that easy. You know, because in some cases, the the original appears to actually have occurred over in Disneyland for the steamboat, for instance. 
you know, because it, it opened up before, uh, before Legends hit it, you know, so from a time perspective, the cause occurred after the effect. So in 1963, this place was opened up. It, you know, was created in 1983. It ended up closing, and it had the steamboat. Well, at that point, the cause of that steamboat's existence and everything um, ended up altering time and making it so where it had another place that it ended up going to, which was 1954. And at that point, it ended up being put in Disneyland, you know, as an amusement park right there, too. And that's actually how I'm suspecting that, to some degree, this things might happen. Where something might creatively be put out there, and it may not necessarily be what's considered, um, let's say it's entertainment. It may be... Um, determined, you know, from a collective's perspective and everything, that, hey, that actually has a good place. Let's put that as a real thing, and let's actually put that in a position in space and time, on this timeline, you know, to contribute to this reality. So, boom, you know, there's quite possible that this idea and concept of a steamboat may have just been something that had been an inspired idea that came out of absolutely positively nothing, you know, um, and then, boom, it appears in another amusement park, you know, but before then, 1954, so the cause in 1963 affects 1954, creates that event that actually creates a new steamship, but that creates more audience for this, and all of a sudden that audience says, hey, that's a great idea. Let's make it real. And boom, all of a sudden at that point, it actually alters the physical reality itself. And all of a sudden, boom, in the 1800s, now, you know, maybe even 1700s, now all of a sudden you have something called a steamboat. And that steamboat literally is inserted into the historical timeline, backdated, and now all of a sudden we've got a richer, broader history, you know, of the possibilities that happened and everything. And all of a sudden, you know, kids are reading about uh, the once the uh, the steamboat that ended up happening back in um, what was it? Steamboat in Old Ironsides, I think is what the name of it was. So the USS Ironsides. Yeah, so the funny thing was, 1983, 1982, 1983, that was about the point I ended up being introduced to USS uh, New Ironsides, and that was actually in a, um, uh, we had a constitutional class that we actually had to take in 8th grade. Imagine that. I had to take a USS Constitution and USS History. U.S. History, class 1982-83, that ignites my mind, and all of a sudden that creates, you know, it's this feedback loop. You know, I get this idea, hey, they actually had steam engines back then? You know, and it creates this causal loop. You know, which one comes before the other one? Um, or maybe I have this idea, you know, and this idea, this is the weird thing about it all creates the amusement park ride, creates the bigger one, 
and all of a sudden solidifies that history. And history becomes, this all becomes a part of history. I'm really suspecting, it's just like this is how time works. An idea and that concept may come from a single linear, you can maybe refer to it as a quantum or a digital reality. That in itself bubbles up to the surface and becomes a collective thing, collectively aware, you know, through the mechanisms in our society, you know, for instance, it's through fictional and entertainment type things and everything. You know, so it goes into a theme park. It goes into another theme park. A bigger one. More more audience. Until all of a sudden the entire world says, Hey, that's a good idea. You know, at a subconscious level. So it's just basically it's this whole causal loop that, uh, you know, backdates history for the collective based on the ideas and concepts of one person's reality and this is how timelines in my opinion might actually cause a convergence over time and everything the collective to the individual so in any case it's interesting because 1982-83 is, uh, is about the point I have some of these memories you know, of Legend City, but uh, I'm looking at the park and it's just like most of it just looks absolutely foreign to me. Like something I've never seen before. I mean, I look at the um, steamboat and I remember riding something like that, but only bigger. And the train, too. I remember riding the train. Train. They had a train over at uh, Knott's Berry Farm, so I'm pretty sure that's the one I rode. <sighs> but uh, yeah. Anyways, I just wanted to mention that. Legend City, trippy. Okay, so to add on to that last conversation that I ended without uh, discussing one last thing, um, I didn't know there was a new version of uh, The Flash coming out tonight. And, interestingly enough, it's actually demonstrating some of the time stuff that I'm talking about as well. So, anyways, um, in The Flash, there's a, uh, The Flash's daughter. The Flash, if you're not aware of him, he has a capability to be able to run super, super fast, um, and basically towards the speed of light. The faster that he runs, uh, it actually causes a, a re reverse of time. So... With that, with that happening, it uh, there's time travel's been one of the prevalent themes within the Flash and the Flash's universe. There's something called Flashpoint, which is all over the DC universe for causing a, a fragmentation of that universe altogether. Now, Excess, which is his daughter, um, that uh, he hasn't had yet, so there's a time in the future where he has a daughter. That daughter comes back in time, and uh, she ends up meeting um, her parents before they even have her. So it's really kind of an interesting thing where they've kind of adopted and accepted her as their daughter, but uh, they've 
you know, and she's been written, quote unquote, written into the storyline and everything, and she's basically interacting with him on a, on a regular basis and everything, and has been for at least um, the greater part of. Uh, and it's been about a, a little bit more than a season now, so two seasons, about a season and a half. Well, and anyways, in, in today's episode, she ends up um, basically reliving the last hour of her life while her dad, he's in something called the Flash Force, or what is it? I think it's called the Flash Force and everything. He's he's busy, literally indisposed, in and, and will be for one solid hour, where all she has to do is basically keep you know, watch the tent, watch the fort. Well, in this hour, uh, Cicada, which is one of the major, major um, antagonists, he ends up uh, at that point de- deploying his plan, and um, ends up uh, going in and um, he ends up um, kidnapping one member of the team. Now, the team consists of six or seven different people altogether, and uh, at first he ends up. Uh, taking over, what was it, um, uh, what's the, uh, one? So, first ends up taking over, oh, what's her name? So, there's a stretchy guy, <laughs> I'm trying to remember their names. There's Ramon, there's Sherlock, they call her Killer Frost, and there's also um, the Flash's wife, which is... I'm having a hard time remembering her name. Anyway, she's the first one that's actually kidnapped. And Excess, uh, which is the daughter of this girl, um, goes and and they more or less they get this alarm that Cicada has kidnapped her. And uh, she goes and just in the nick of time happens to see Cicada ends up killing those who are one, one at least... Killer Frost, in this case, um, is who who she immediately shows up with. And uh, every time she shows up, somebody dies. So here she is. She's looping. You know, so what ends up happening is she goes to this point. Everything happens, and within this period of an hour, or her her dad's incapacitated, she ends up uh, going to this point where Cicada ends up killing somebody, and she ends up going back in time, using her she has a capability to go ultra fast too, so much so that she can actually rewind time, and that's actually what she ends up doing, to rewind time an hour and that's all she can do for some reason and at this point she ends up uh, rewinding time that hour to go back to a certain point where here she is trying to figure out what to do next you know, so she keeps on reliving the same hour over and over again so it's not that much different than what I just discussed with the whole Star Trek Voyager timeline, where Janeway ends up, um, you know, going through, and it's just like, how many times did the crew go through this? Well, in a lot of cases, we don't know. You know, but, so in this case, you know, all, all we're shown, or all I'm shown is basically five or six different timelines, you know, where she ends up at one point, you know, towards the end of this journey and everything, you know, she ends up uh, saying, you know, she's clearly exhausted, and, uh, you know, she's asked by Sherlock, uh, how many times have you, uh, have you looped? And she said, 52. All I've seen is five or six, you know, but from her perspective, she's certainly experienced a hell of a lot more. And in the end, she, you know, helps prevent, 
you know, everybody from getting killed. They end up um, not necessarily defeating um, Cicada, but they, they certainly wound him. And uh, he ends up uh, taking off at this point. And Cicada is kind of like anti-mutant, despite the fact that he's a technological mutant. Um, he's more or less uh, out to kill, eradicate all mutants from the uh, from the planet and everything. So, anyways, he's he's um, temporarily defeated. She manages to stop everybody from dying. And uh, the Flash returns, and at this point, he uh, describes, or she describes to him everything that happened. So it's just the looping mechanism. Everything that loops, it's kind of interesting to me. You know why it happens and what's going on. Very similar to the story from the Star Trek, uh, you know, Voyager and everything. So that's about it. Just wanted to uh, add that in.